0: Have you ever been a witness in a legal case? I have, and I found it to be a very uncomfortable and even alien experience. It was a a civil suit, and I had to appear uh, in a hearing before a judge, so there was no jury. There was just the judge and the attorneys and the defendant and the plaintiff and then a handful of witnesses like me. And as I sat there waiting for my turn to be called to go into the witness box, I felt very much out of place. But my turn came and I went up to the witness box and I was sworn in and I gave my oath to tell the truth. And I found it a bit unnerving to face these two attorneys one by one and answer their questions, all the while very aware that right over here was this looming presence of the judge paying attention to every word that I was saying. Here's what's interesting, even though I was nervous, I actually felt confident. I was confident because I knew what I had to say. I knew what I had to say was the truth. I wanted to make sure I said it right, so I answered questions very slowly and thoughtfully and carefully. And time dragged. I think I was on the witness stand about 15 minutes and it felt like an hour. And I was so grateful when it was over. Being a witness in a trial is something that most people never will experience. And it's one I happily would have avoided. I hope it never will happen to you. However, even though we we never may be witnesses in a legal case, giving testimony in a court of law, we all have the opportunity to be witnesses of a different kind. We all have the opportunity to give some very simple yet very profound testimony about truth that we know. You see, we have the privilege of telling people about Jesus. And we need to grasp this fact. More than anything, yes, more than anything, Jesus wants His followers to testify about Him. So on the night before He dies, He takes some extended time to tell His disciples about this. He tells the disciples that the Holy Spirit is going to come and He's coming to help them be good witnesses. Jesus explains that this is the Spirit's purpose. And Jesus describes how the Spirit is going to do His work. And what He says to His original band of disciples applies to us. And so I want us to listen into this conversation as Jesus talks to his followers in the book of John, chapter 15, starting in verse 26. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So we're diving into the middle of this lengthy conversation that Jesus is having with his followers. And in this conversation, he describes at some length the promise and the purpose of the Holy Spirit and his ministry in the world. Now we know from all that's said in Scripture that the presence of the Holy Spirit brings many benefits to followers of Jesus. But the Spirit has one overriding purpose, which Jesus makes very clear here. The purpose comes to make Jesus known. The purpose wants the Spirit wants to be sure that Jesus is known in this world. Think about this. When Jesus walked the earth, what was his ministry? To tell people about the kingdom of God and to invite them into that kingdom. And now as he leaves, the disciples are going to be equipped to do the very same thing. They will testify about Jesus, the only one who can get people connected to God and his kingdom. And this ministry of testimony was first given to these disciples, and then it's passed on to every generation of believers. It's been passed on to us. And so we have a ministry of witness, giving testimony of the truth that we know about Jesus. Now, let's be honest, whenever we start to talk about witnessing, a lot of Christians start to get very, very nervous. Because for a lot of Christians, the idea of talking about faith with an unbeliever is a little threatening. And I believe that's because we misunderstand what God actually expects of us. And this word testify that Jesus uses here can help add some helpful clarity. Now the word in the original Greek text is almost always used in a legal setting. And so we need to think about what testimony looks like in a court case, just as I once testified. So as I sat there in the witness box giving my testimony, what was I supposed to do? Well, I was not expected as a witness to know everything. As a witness, I was not expected to have all of the answers. It was not my role to resolve the problems at hand. I had one responsibility only to tell the court truthfully what I knew." And in the same way, that's what it means to be a witness for Jesus. We simply describe what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've experienced. We just tell our story. No more, no less. It's really very simple. Now, having said that, we need to recognize that there is a significant difference between court testimony and spiritual testimony. When we testify in a court, it's a scheduled event. I knew when I would have to sit in that witness box and give my testimony. But as we go through daily life, we're obviously not in court, and we don't know when we might be asked to testify about Jesus. It might even catch us by surprise. And I think this means we need to do some preparation. Now, I certainly did that when I knew I was going to have to give testimony in front of a judge. I wanted to get it right, so I spent time thinking about what I knew. And I even spent time rehearsing my comments and my potential answers to the questions I thought I would get. And that preparation helped me to approach that situation with much greater confidence. After that hearing was over, it occurred to me that I had never shown that same level of concern about my spiritual testimony. I found myself asking this question, was I spiritually prepared to testify about Jesus? In fact, did I actually even know what I would say if someone asked me about my faith? So that experience prompted me to do some spiritual preparation. To actually think about situations that might arise and then be prepared to give an answer. And here's an example of how that works in my life. When I'm interacting with a friend who is far from God, one of my favorite spiritual icebreakers is to offer to pray for them. I do that because most people view prayer as very non-threatening. And so it's an easy way to bring spiritual matters into the relationship. And so if a friend expresses a need, and if it seems like an appropriate time to do this, I might say, hey, can I pray about that? Often they'll just say, yes, thank you, but sometimes They'll ask questions like, oh, why do you believe in prayer? That's the moment when I'm called upon to be a witness for the truth. And knowing I might get a question like that, I prepared my testimony. And so I might respond something like this. I believe in prayer because so often when I pray, pray, something changes. God might change something in me. He might change something in the person I'm praying for. He might change that very circumstance about which I'm praying. So I love to pray and then wait with expectation and see what God might do. It's short. It's straightforward. I don't promise prayer as a cure-all to the problems of life. I simply use my testimony to point people toward God, to hopefully make them curious about God. I believe that's what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. In a similar way, I've prepared an answer if someone ever says, so why are you a Christian? Have you ever thought about how you'd answer that? I've decided after a lot of trial and error to make it really short and simple. And I say something like this, I've seen too much evidence that God is real and that Jesus Christ is alive today. And I found that that very succinct answer provokes two kinds of responses. The person who's not interested changes the subject. And the person who is is spiritually curious will then ask a follow-up question which then enables me to tell another little piece of my story. And I share a piece of my story and they may ask a question and I share a piece of my story and they may ask a question. about being prepared I don't have answers to all of the questions that I might potentially get asked I have just tried to be prepared for some obvious ones because I want to be ready to be a truthful witness for Jesus And here's what I've noticed. That preparation makes a huge difference. Just as I prepared to give testimony in front of a judge and it made me more confident, by having some prepared spiritual answers to potential questions I might get, I am far less anxious about having those conversations with people who are far from God. And in fact, I find I'm more willing to look for those opportunities when the Holy Spirit might nudge me and say, now's the time, speak up, say something. Preparation increases our confidence and helps to reduce our anxiety about giving testimony of Jesus. So, how about you? Are you prepared? Have you thought about what you would say? Are you ready to testify? That's what Jesus wants his followers, to do. That's what he's preparing his disciples here to do on this last night of his life because this issue of witnessing and testifying is the unfinished mission of the church. Telling people about Jesus is their primary purpose and it's the purpose for which the Holy Spirit is going to come and equip them. It's the purpose for which the Holy Spirit comes and equips us. And as Jesus talks to them about this vital ministry of testimony, he wants them to understand that it is so essential for them to have the power of the Spirit and the presence of the Spirit because the reality is the days ahead are going to be hard. Sometimes when believers testify about Jesus, there are painful consequences. And that's what Jesus warns them about next. Let's continue on. Chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus says, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming, listen to this, when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Wow. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you'll remember that I warned you about them. These are words that we need to hear. It's, it's so easy to think that if we're just good, sincere people and all we want to do is just try and follow Jesus, that life should be simple and easy. <laughs> and it's not the case. There's times when life gets hard. There's times when believers even become oppressed for our faith. And in those moments, it may be tempting to think that God has abandoned us and it may be tempting to want to abandon God. Jesus doesn't want that to happen. So he prepares his followers by warning them that they're going to get harassed, they're going to get persecuted. It won't be pleasant, it won't be pretty, but it will be reality. And here's what's really hard to digest. Jesus says it's going to happen. And he's not going to do anything to stop it. He's going to let these bad things happen. And that's why throughout his ministry, he always encourages his followers to live with an eternal perspective, remembering that this life is not all there is. The highest priority of any disciple is to tell other people, the truth about Jesus. And Jesus says, as you do that faithfully, some of you will pay with your lives. And sadly, these comments from Jesus come true. The book of Acts reports that Stephen, a man full of faith, is stoned to death by an angry mob. James, the brother of John, is executed by King Herod. All of the original disciples eventually become Martyrs. And Jesus' words continue to come true today. Christians around the globe are being persecuted in record numbers. Sometimes by governments, sometimes by ardent atheists, sometimes by people of other faiths. But you know, in the grand scheme of things, the source of the persecution really isn't the issue. That's not what matters. What matters is our testimony and our willingness to understand that there are people in this world who are far from God and they desperately need Jesus. We are living through a time in our world where there is so much division. We are a divided world, we're a divided culture, and as a result, we tend to place people in categories and we we brand them as either allies or enemies. It occurs to me if we adopt that viewpoint, it will sincerely and severely inhibit our ability to be effective witnesses. And we cannot view atheists or Jews or Muslims or Buddhists or Hindus as enemies. We need to see them as Jesus sees them, as human beings made in the image of God, as men and women who don't know Jesus, they don't know the Father, but that's where their hope will lie, and that's why the Holy Spirit is coming, and if we let him be our guide, he can encourage us and equip us to be faithful witnesses for Jesus so we can testify to the goodness of God to whoever God brings into our lives. there's this amazing thing that takes place here because in the mysterious ways of God and the mysterious will of God and the mysterious plan of God, he's choosing to partner with you and with me. And when we take the opportunity to testify, then the Holy Spirit will step in and do his work. Because once we have testified, once we have served as witnesses, the Spirit's role is to convict people, to convict them in their conscience as a way to draw them to Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus talks about next. He says, I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And here's the key point. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Jesus is saying these words on the last night of his life. As he prepares his disciples for his death and his resurrection and his eventual return to heaven. They know he's going away. They know he won't be with them much longer. And it's natural for them to grieve over the loss of that relationship. And yet Jesus says it's essential, it's essential for him to leave so that the unfinished business of God's kingdom can be addressed. Jesus will leave so that the Holy Spirit will come. And then because of the Spirit's power at work in their lives, these disciples in the years ahead will accomplish far more for the kingdom of God than they ever accomplished during Jesus' life. It's because of this partnership. As they testify, then the Holy Spirit will do His part to draw people to Jesus. He will prove to people far from God that they've come to incorrect conclusions about spiritual matters. And that phrase here, prove to the world, literally means to convict or to convince. You see what the Holy Spirit wants to do is work on the minds and the hearts and the consciences of people. So they will become convinced about the truth of God. And so when we testify, it gives the Spirit a chance to convict people about their sinfulness, helping to understand the reality that they're separated from God and they can't fix that on their own. And the Spirit can convince people that only Jesus is righteous, that He's the only one who can get men and women connected to the Heavenly Father. And in fact, that's why He's going back to the Heavenly Father to show that He is righteous. And we are not. But we can become righteous when we trust Him. And the Spirit will convince people that Satan, who is the prince of this world, is under judgment. And therefore, it's foolish to try to live according to the values of this world, and instead we should adopt the values of the kingdom of God by following Jesus. And when people become convinced, when they get convicted in their conscience, that's when they become willing to make profound spiritual changes. And here's what's really important. Jesus tells us that this conviction does not ultimately come from human argument and human reasoning. It comes through the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's His job. Not mine. Not yours. Our role is to be witnesses. We're not asked to serve as prosecuting attorneys who bring charges against people. We're not asked to be presiding judges who pass sentence on people. It's not our role to convict people of their sin. It is the role of the Holy Spirit. You and I need to testify. To tell a piece of our story. And then pray. Pray for the Spirit to draw people to Jesus. Now, here's where things get challenging. We may verbally acknowledge the importance of all of this. We may agree, yes, there are people far from God and they need to hear about Jesus. But how will they ever learn about Jesus Christ and the love of God unless they have a Christian friend? Somebody like you, somebody like me. And I'm not talking about acquaintances. I'm talking about friendships. The kind of friendships where we get together for coffee or lunch or where we go to a football game or a show together, where we have them over to our house or we're invested in their lives and we go over to their house and hang out and spend time with them. The kind of relationship where there's no agenda except sincere, honest friendship kind of relationships where we just try to love people with the love of God. And as we do life with those people, we try to live the kind of life that models Christ. And we pay attention listening to that small still voice of the Holy Spirit who can tell us when it might be right to step into the role of a witness to give a word of testimony by telling something of our story. And when those moments happen, then the Spirit can step in and do His work of conviction as Jesus describes here. We testify, the Spirit convicts. What an amazing, mysterious partnership. Now, as I mentioned, this is just one piece of a much larger conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. He's actually dumping an awful lot of information on them, and it's, it's a little bit much for them to take in. Jesus doesn't want to give them more than they can handle, and so he leaves them with one final thought, as we see here in verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you now can bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So Jesus basically says, you're not going to get it all right now. You're not going to remember all of this. But don't worry. The Holy Spirit will lead you in the future. He will guide you in the way of truth. And these final comments here are so incredibly important because for many believers, the idea of being guided by the Spirit, well, it's just a little bit uncomfortable. For some people, it sounds a little bit, Subjective. sounds like we might be led by our feelings or we might mistake our feelings somehow for the guidance of the Spirit. And Jesus puts those concerns to rest by describing the perfect harmony that exists here between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Everything the Spirit says, everything the Spirit does is designed to guide people to God the Father through Jesus God the Son. And so we know and can have confidence that the Spirit never will lead us astray from God's truth. His purpose is to help us follow Jesus faithfully. His purpose is to show us how to live out the truth of God revealed in the Bible. And part of living out that truth is to live as effective witnesses for Jesus. Letting the Spirit prompt us so we know when To testify so that someone who does not know Jesus can hear the truth. Jesus obviously wanted his original disciples to take this teaching to heart and to embrace the priority, the overwhelming priority of the Spirit's mission in the world. And he wants us to take it to heart as well. And I believe the only meaningful way to do this for you and me is to build friendships with people who are far from God. And when we do, we can become an avenue for the Spirit to do His work. And so we become intentional about building friendships. We make the effort to be prepared with some good answers. And when those moments occur, then we pray that the Spirit will step in and do His part. I saw a very dramatic example of this at work in the life of my friend, Jim. Jim's an American who for many years has lived and worked in Western Europe. The city that he lives in over the last few years has welcomed huge numbers of Muslim refugees. Now, Jim's become very comfortable with the Western European culture, but he's spent virtually no time around Muslims. And he understands that people of goodwill can disagree about the politics that went into that decision to bring those people into these countries. He understands that people of goodwill can wonder about bringing in literally hundreds of thousands of people whose culture and values are so different from their host cities and whose sheer numbers sometimes overwhelm the resources of those host communities. And there's all kinds of ways to debate that. Jim wasn't interested in the debate. He said, the refugees are here. What's my proper response as a follower of Jesus? Rather than view these people as a threat, he saw this as an opportunity. An opportunity to be a friend to people who had been displaced by war. So he volunteered one day a week at a refugee center. And he went there with one simple goal. I want, as a follower of Jesus, to help these people adjust to their new life and their new community. Well, over a period of several weeks, he became friends with a young Muslim man named Amari. And he learned that Amari's parents were killed in the war that he had escaped. Amari had been able to get out of the country with his two brothers, but in their exodus, they had become separated, and he had no idea if his brothers were still alive or where they were. He was alone in the world, disoriented, confused, afraid. He needed a friend, and Jim became that friend. A friend who spends time with Amari. They do social things together. Jim helps him figure out and adapt to the culture of his new community. Jim prays for him. And throughout this relationship as it's unfolded, he just tries to be aware of those moments when the Spirit might give him a nudge. And he can maybe share a word of his story, give a little testimony about Jesus Christ. After many months of friendship, Jim had had a few brief moments to share some spiritual things with Amari. And Amari knew that Jim was a committed follower of Jesus. And then something amazing happened one night, something that really defies human explanation. Amari's strain of Islam deeply believes that God speaks through dreams and visions. And Amari had a dream. And in this dream, he had a vision. It was a vision of God. And in the dream, Amari heard Jim's voice speaking about Jesus. The next day, Amari came to Jim and said, Allah was telling me that I can trust you to tell me the truth about Jesus Christ. Wow. When Jim told me that story, I got goosebumps. You see, that's the Holy Spirit at work. It was the Spirit convincing Amari that that he needed to learn some spiritual truths about Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit was letting him know that he could trust Jim, that a reliable source for discovering that truth about Jesus. And since that day, Amari has been attending church, talking with Jim, and step by step by step, he is drawing slowly closer to Jesus. All of this happened. All of this is happening because Jim was not afraid to become friends with a Muslim. He simply said, I want to be a faithful witness. I want to be a witness who testifies about Jesus and then trusts the Spirit to do his part. And I am so inspired by Jim. And here's what occurs to me. If he can become good friends with a man whose faith and culture are so different from his, if he can be an effective witness for Jesus in his relationship, then certainly I can be an effective witness right here in my own community. I can build meaningful friendships with neighbors and others I know who are far from God. I can love them. I can spend time with them. I can do life with them. I can pray for them. And all along the way, I can listen for that voice of the Holy Spirit nudging me, telling me, this is the moment, this is the moment to give a word of testimony. See, I can do that. And you can too. And it all starts with relationships. So here's the question I believe God wants us to leave with. Who has he placed in your life? Who has he placed in my life that is far from God and could benefit from having a good friend who loves Jesus?